You're now experiencing data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Hi, we're back with Experiencing Data here, and I have Paul Mattel on the line, who is currently the Director of Network Systems at Akamai. How's it going, Paul? It's going great. Thanks, Brian. Glad to have you on the show, and you're working at one of these like companies that I think of as kind of like oxygen in the internet. Like It's kind of everywhere, but you don't really see it because it's all invisible, and <laughs> but it's actually this kind of big thing behind the scenes, and so... So, you know, swimming around on the internet is uh, all this data and uh, Akamai is in the middle of a lot of that, largely responsible for making sure it's moving quickly and is available at the right time and in the right places. So you're, uh, as I understand it, you're, uh, you're kind of in a new position. You've, you've changed domains. Previously, you were working in the space of legal patent work, uh, digital forensics, and you've built some tools at your previous company. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about those. And, and so now you're moving more into the the bits and bytes of the the internet. You're responsible for creating data products. Is that right? Like tools, decision support tools for the people that keep the Akamai network going and running smoothly and anticipating demand. Is that did I kind of get all that right? Sure. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So you know, at Akamai, we we like to think of it as uh, we're we're the ones who make the internet work. So there's a notion that that the way things work on the internet is you just simply put your content up on on a server and 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 the rest is is history but you know these days there's a lot of complexity there are many many users who want to access the same content at the same time so akamai makes that content all available to everyone uh, when they need it and and how they need it and so yeah and my past job as you, as you mentioned was was quite a bit different although it had some similar qualities so i was helping to develop systems and tools for lawyers and for consultants for lawyers cases to, to analyze patents, to, to help them better understand the subject matter of patents. So we created some applications there. So here at Akamai, I am, I am also creating applications to be used, uh, applications and tools to be used by the members of the network's team who are responsible for deploying and maintaining the whole Akamai network. And so that breaks down roughly into tools that help us manage our work, tools that help us with analytics, and planning, and then uh, and and also tools that help us visualize data. It is somewhat of a shift. Uh, a lot of the domain knowledge is a little bit different, but uh, it's interesting that that so many of the problems end up being similar. Yeah. So, so tell us a bit about who the end customer is. Like, how many internal customers do you have? You know, and and do they break up into like personas or segments? Like, we have network administrators, and we have whatever people. Like, tell us a bit about who those those people are that you're designing these tools for, or you're helping deploy these tools for? There are a couple of groups that the infrastructure group, which is responsible for really deploying all of the, the servers and maintaining all of the servers. Uh, so that's sort of one class of user who is mostly using our tools in a, in a logistical fashion to, to coordinate and organize their work. There's a planning team who is thinking about the capacity of our network. You know, Do we have enough for what's coming down, down the pike? Do we have the right capacity in the right places? We also have users who are thinking about the architecture of the network and thinking about how we build 
how we build and optimize our our hardware and our network to be to continue to be cutting edge and to continue to meet the needs of our customers. And so different people looking at different tools and different data for different purposes. Cool. And just like a little fun question here, but this this is probably because I don't know the domain very well, but when there's like a big event coming, you know, on the internet, let's take something like, you know, the the Super Bowl or the World Cup or the new Game of Thrones or whatever. Are there literally changes that that you guys go and make to facilitate like a major event? Or are those actually more like a blip in terms of internet traffic and all of that? Depends. Certainly some of them, some of those those events have been some of the largest days of traffic we've seen move across our network. And so often there are considerations, especially depending on where exactly we expect the viewers to be for those events. We may deploy additional capacity in, in, in one uh, you know, geographic area or another. Going back to like the people that are at the end of these tools, right? Like there's, these are decision support tools. Like how do you know if your team is doing a good job? Like how do you measure that the end customers are getting the right information and that that they believe it, that they're willing to take action on it? Like, do you have a regular feedback cycle or interaction with these different personas that you talked about? Yes. So that's one of the most important aspects of what we do is trying to figure out how exactly to measure how we're doing, and especially in the analytics space, right? In the, I guess in the in the productivity tool space, it's a little simpler. You know, we can tell we can tell pretty much where the pain points are. People come to us and say, you know, this interface isn't working for me, or these five things are in five different places and they're only really needed in one. Those are a little bit more straightforward kinds of feedback. With analytics, we find it it goes a lot to, you know, how successful were we predicting? How much excess capacity did we end up with in a place we didn't need it, for example? And all those kinds of questions. So yeah, we meet we meet with our customers pretty regularly, and we also have, you know, we have some metrics that we compute to to give us an idea of how we're doing. Those are all quantitative metrics, or do you have any type of qualitative, you know, conversations that go deeper than like, you know, I wish there was a filter for the date on this chart, you know, or you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Which you know, those things do matter, and 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 it's it's the sum of all those little tiny details that that add up into good experiences typically, but. I'm I'm curious if you have, you know, any deeper qualitative type of uh, interaction with with these end users. A lot of what we're discussing these days for example is, you know, there's a tremendous amount of telemetry available that comes off the platform, you know, numbers that about what's going on in the network that we could measure and we can capture. So in many cases a lot of the conversations are about hey, can we capture more of this data, right? Is there some way we can get sample more frequently or can we can we get access to this kind of data that we don't have right now so that we could be able to optimize more effectively on on the things that actually matter where the actual bottlenecks are in the network you know versus sort of more simplified models based on less data so we're finding you know that's one of the very common kinds of, of feedback we're getting is for more data and and different differently sampled data we talked about about this a little bit when we when we did our you know pre-call or whatever about topics and you mentioned that you have like kind of different classes of users in, t- in terms of who's capable of designing an effective tool for themselves. Because I think you said you're leveraging tab. You, you've got a mix of tools that are custom built, which might have two-way interaction, right? Where data is being put back in through forms or whatever in the tool. And then you have Tableau and some kind of rear view mirror type historical reporting interfaces, which as I understand it, those those start with the user, a blank slate, is that correct? And then they put together the, the views that they want and the reporting that they want. So 
kind of curious just for you to talk about how many people are using like custom tools that you built versus the ones that they designed for themselves. And how do you know that are people doing a good job creating the tools they need for themselves? Like, do you have a sense of that feedback that they're looking at the right data, that they know how to interpret it, they know how to visualize it? Can you talk a little bit about that? No, our organization has hundreds of people in it. And I would say at least 50, probably 50 to 75% of those users are highly technical, which uh, is very helpful, actually, because we find that that helps us to, they, they often come to us with a better idea of what, what they need. And in some cases, we can give them good interfaces to, to build their own tools. And so, you know, the sort of historic approach to that here has been to give them pretty decent access to the data in our databases and even the, you know, the engines themselves. And, ha- and, and many of them are comfortable writing their own queries. Um, but we also have, you know, a very I guess what I would say, mature ecosystem of query exchange, right? So we have this tool that allows people to write their own queries and then share them with others. And then others can manipulate those queries further and you know, customize them to their own needs. And so they're very, they're very familiar with that. And the piece we're bringing in next is this idea of merely making visualization also a, a self-serve kind of area, right? Where, you know, with Tableau, a tool like Tableau, you can point Tableau at the same data that you might be the output of these queries, but then have powerful visualization on top of that. And so, so the other piece of this, right, is how much of it do we do and how much of it do customers sort of create from whole cloth, right? And it's kind of a, it's kind of a balance. There are certainly some people who come to us and say, here's what I need, but I don't know how to do it. And then they ask us to do it. Sometimes a, a customer will actually originate a, an idea and they'll say, here's this report or this query that I think is interesting. And, and we'll say, oh yeah, that's interesting. You know, why don't we bake that into something more sophisticated? It's kind of a mixed bag, but I would say, you know, most people coming to us usually have something. There's, there's usually something that we already have that they can use as a basis, and then they can usually modify that further. And that's that's been a pretty successful model for us because it really get, lets people kind of get what they want, get the very detailed, precise view that meets their needs, but benefit, you know, from all of the other work we've put into to making those views and those approaches effective and, and mature over, you know, over many years. Do you feel like as a general rule, then you have, I, I guess with the technical audience, then you probably, you don't, it sounds like you don't struggle as much with getting engagement with the analytics. You actually have plenty of that, or, or would you say that's not necessarily entirely true? Yes. I, I would say we have a lot of, a lot of engagement with that here. You know, people are very familiar with people jump to, to answering questions with data and, they're equipped and they know how to do that, and they have they have very good ideas about about how to make sure that you know the approaches they take are backed by data and backed by by evidence. So very mature in that sense. People, in terms of since you have this kind of mix of these custom tools that you guys are building in house, like how do you decide which wheel is going to get the most oil? You know, you've got <laughs> right. these custom tools, you've got some Tableau stuff, you've got people coming in. Maybe they are using Tableau, but they don't know how to build the reporting they need. Is it based on a business driver? Like if we get, you know, problem X wrong, this costs a lot of money. So we're going to put our team on this problem. And and sorry, you know, Jane, you're going to have to do your own. (laughs) You're going to have to take the Tableau tutorial and figure it out yourself. Like how do you resource like that? So as with any place, you know, there's certainly scarcity, right? We are, we we wish we had, you know, everybody always wishes they had twice the people they had, right? 
and twice the maybe even the computing resources and everything else that they wish they had. At a high level, a lot of it is driven by a by a strategic plan, by a you know an idea for for what we as an organization are trying to accomplish. That determines which things kind of get the most people and the most priority. But but there's actually a very mature culture here at Narakamai of of helping each other, of just being you know not not necessarily taking on an enormous project if you don't have the time for it, but you know, opening your door and helping somebody solve a, a problem if you have expertise that can help them. So kind of a balance of those of those things where we work on, you know, major kind of roadmap, large projects or tools for strategic and, you know, efficiency, particular efficiency reasons that we're, that we're seeking to achieve as an organization. And then, you know, we spend a lot of the rest of the time helping the folks who need it to get to where they need to get. That makes sense to me. Although, is the feedback loop in place such that there's some point in the future at which you look backwards on the on these projects or these projects or products or tools that you've built and say, did we make a dent? Did we, you know, what were the success criteria for those? And like, what's that, you know, three month or six month rear view look like? Do you guys talk about what that is? So you know whether or not you hit you hit your objectives and and since, you know, since project X got four times the the resourcing, did we get four times the value or whatever the value was that was kind of determined. Like what's that? I'm always curious about these feedback cycles because there's a lot of places that they start with all this telemetry and data, and then they put technology on top of it and they build a bunch of software. And a lot of times the releases and the platforms are looked at as the outputs and the final part of this. And it's actually not, it's the, it's the outcomes that come from the stuff we built that matter. And if you don't know what those outcomes look like, then you don't know if you actually created anything meaningful. So I'm curious, like that feedback cycle, like does does your business know, like we have to see, you know, we can't get predictions wrong or we can't, you know, we don't want to have more than 12% server waste, you know, from a wrong prediction or whatever. I don't know what those metrics are, but can you, any, <laughs> can you talk about that feedback loop from a business and a value perspective? Some of the things we're doing are very tied to specific business goals for certain kinds of efficiency gains. So these are targets for dollars saved in terms of you know operating the network at a, at a lower cost. And so in those areas, we, we are we are very acutely sort of being measured pretty much on a yearly basis uh, along those lines. We are we're working towards getting better at what happens in between in the rest of the year. You know, the you can often go off track a little bit somewhere in, in, in one month and, and that can kind of cost you down the road. So so we, we've been focused on trying to get to more of a monthly evaluation of, you know, where we can break things down and try to deliver value on a monthly basis and then get feedback from customers and, and you know, also to see how they're affecting the numbers and real, real world application of, of this data to, to op- actually optimize the network to learn are we consistently on track? Are we always moving in the right direction? So yeah, I, I'd say you know that is definitely an element of what we do. Right now, we're doing it more like every six months or a year. You know, at a granular level, we'd like to move that to being much shorter term and focused on constantly delivering smaller chunks of value. Cool, man. That's that, that's good to hear. So, do you have? You almost, my understanding from what we talked is that you'd be almost what I would call like a product manager, even though you're not developing commercial products, but you're kind of overseeing the creation of these different tools. So I'm curious, do you have product, the equivalent of like a product manager role where like one person's job is to make sure that whatever tool, whatever analytics and or custom tools you guys build 
for you know the network operations team or the team that deploys the servers like they live and breathe that world and they're totally responsible to service those staff that work on those technical problems is that how it's shaped or is it kind of like everyone's touching all of the different parts of Akamai, I'm just kind of wondering like how you get into that world of like, what's it like to be the server administrator and predicting where to deploy servers? And so how is that structured? Like, do you have an, maybe you don't have enough staff to like break it down that way. And I'm, I'm asking a leading question, but I'm curious for you to talk about that a little bit. I would say there's, a, there's, there's really four teams within our group and they are divided up with focus on, you know, focus on different of the stakeholder groups within the networks organization. So there is definitely some division. There's also some sort of cross responsibility, but but there are definitely folks who know specific subject matter areas, you know, very well, and who are critical in those areas to, you know, anything more than the simple bug fix, right? In, in an area, is is going to involve somebody who's managing that area. Now, for our largest projects of all, we we, we do have product product managers as well as project managers involved in the creation of of the larger the larger ones. But I'd say that's you know two or three of our major our major systems and sort of the rest of, you know, the other several hundred tools or, or various pieces that we that we manage and, and care and give care and feeding over the years. That stuff either is being taken care of by one of these SME areas or is or is sort of rolling out to me, especially if it's something new. I'm usually finding that that that's a large part of my role is hoping is is helping to at the outset say, okay, let's define what this tool looks like, what it's doing, who's going to use it. You know what those people need. How does it fit in? You know what what are the processes at play here at, at Akamai that that this is a part of? And are those you know do we do we understand those processes and have we optimized those processes? So that's a lot of what I end up doing is defining working with you know with obviously with the rest of my team to 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 define those new products so that they'll be the most successful you know as we build them and get off in the right direction. That sounds awfully like design to me. It is. <laughs> Is that traditionally how things have been done in, in this group, or is this something that's new? And how is that how's that being received? Are you getting like, we just just give us the data and we'll put it together? And you're like, no, I, well, help me understand what you're gonna do with it at the end. It's just like, well, I'll know when I see it. And is it that kind of thing? Or, or are they like, great, let's yeah, well, let's get it right. Like, how, what's that process like? The history of our group is that we have probably not put enough focus on planning and design, but I think it's an area where people realize that we need to spend more and they're spending, you know, they really, they really are now focused on that as a goal and understanding that it's important in, in many contexts. That's not to say that there aren't sometimes when people just say, here's what I need and I need it tomorrow. And you know, that, that, that comes up. So balancing that so is always a challenge, but, but I think there's an increasing sense and increasing support kind of across the networks organization and maybe even beyond that, at least into the platform organization, other parts of engineering at Akamai that, it's really a much better result if you make a plan up front and you understand the context into which you're creating this new thing and you understand uh, how it's going to impact processes and, and flow that, that occur you know, once you've built it. Do you have a, maybe you haven't been there, because I, I know you're somewhat new in this position, but have you been there long enough to go through a full cycle of that where you've, you've taken someone through, a, like, let's hold on, let's, let's design this, let's figure out what's actually needed, what the real problem space is like, and then you've gone all the way through maybe building a product or a prototype or something. Have you gone through a full cycle yet, or are you still in the design phase with some of these? For a couple of smaller projects, we, we've definitely done that. And, you know, it's been places where people have come and said, hey, could you do X? And we've said, well, 
you know, we could do X, but that that actually requires more code and more effort. And we have this other thing over here that actually can accomplish that. And then it puts you more in the driver's seat because you can help, you know, maintain it later. And, you know, how's that? And then, the, and, you know, often the results are, are very positive of that. It means we can actually get things implemented faster. People are happier in the end. It's less maintenance for us overall in the long in the long haul. So yes, on the small things, on the bigger things, those are in progress, you know, and, and we're excited about those design phases going on now. They're larger and more productive than I think they've uh, been in the past. And we're excited to see, you know, probably by the middle of this year or later in the year, the, the results and output of that. Can you tell us about what some of those activities are like for people that I think some of the people listening to this are not coming from digital native companies. And so the whole like product design process is, is maybe foreign to them. So can you tell us about like, what are you doing during this time? Why aren't you writing code? Like you have the data, like put Tableau there and let build some reports. Like, what are you doing? That's not that during this like phase. Usually the first thing we're doing is trying to find out who are all the people that in, interact with this data or, or these kinds of systems or these particular you know, business objects or aspects of, of Akamai's network? Because often you know, at a start, we find there's common problems, right? There, there are people in other parts of the organizations who, who may already have a tool that allows them to do this. Now, we also uh, want to go and observe <laughs> those users. We want to we go and find out, are they satisfied with the, with the tool and is the tool meeting their need? which are actually two different questions, right? You know, really seeing whether what they're doing is a, is a process that's optimal and seeing whether we can create a solution to, to this new problem or borrow a solution to this new problem and, and change it, right, in some way that helps everybody. And that's, that's one of the interesting aspects of design here is that there are many groups that interact with the same data in subtly different ways, right? And so... I think a lot of that design phase is about, hey, what are the tools out there? How do we integrate them so that they're the least work for us? How do we make sure that, that we're choosing a good solution and we're actually meeting the user's needs? And you know, the, probably the last part of that, especially in, in, our, in our group, is and not getting stuck on not meeting 100% right, of, of the need with, with a single tool, right? Because in some cases, you know, you'll get 80% of, of the use cases for five groups, right? And, and, and you'll have to say, okay, that's fine. And for this other case, they'll, they'll do it this way. That's a lot of what goes into design for us. It's really just understanding what, what the users are looking for. How does that match up with stuff we already have? And then how do we integrate that, that use case into what we maintain in a way that is streamlined and effective for them and also streamlined and effective for us? So when you talked about getting to know, you know what they're going to do with this information and how they, like, they want to use it, is that through them self-reporting through like talking to you in a meeting? Is it through you observing them doing what they're doing now without the tool? Is this largely like right now I can't do any of this, so I need this tool so I can enable this new thing that I currently don't do? Or is it more like I have this long convoluted process I have to do in order to achieve X. Can you help me build a tool so I can do it in less time? So one of those, there's like a recipe or something already and you're trying to optimize it and the other one is more like this is a new thing I've never been able to do but maybe I could with your help. Do you put it into those buckets and then if it's the former how do you figure out like you know is it observation or just them talking to you about how they're going to use it like how do you figure that out? So there there definitely are both of those scenarios come up. We often get requests 
about processes that already exist. Sometimes there's some tooling there already. Sometimes it's a highly manual process. You know, in that scenario, one of the great assets of, of this particular group is that we have a whole standards and documentation and, and workflow optimization group here within networks, which is a true treasure to have. And so when that kind of problem comes up, the first thing we do is say, okay, let's work with the workflow group and, and let's get a really good map of what this process looks like end to end. And let's look at what the steps are, what the tools are now, where the pain points are. And then once we have you know, drawn this out so that we understand the context, let's actually first look and see whether there's any way we can optimize the process because you know, the last thing we want to do is, is to spend a lot of time implementing automation steps for a process that, that shouldn't, shouldn't be that way in the first place, right? So, so we look at that process and we say, okay, how do we simplify it? How can we bring automation to bear then to make the process more straightforward, take less time, take less human, human effort? And then we usually, at that point, sit down and actually design the, the automation solution around that. So that's one kind of problem. And that process of workflow analysis does involve, well, I guess what we call business process performers, right? And each of these, in each step. So, you know, these are not the people who manage those areas. These are the people who are actually doing the work, right? We want to know what are they actually doing? And we talk to them whenever we can. We actually go observe them because we can learn you know, at least as much and probably more by, by watching what they're, what they're doing and what they're struggling with. So that's one, one side of it. The, the less well-described problems, right? Those are the ones where nobody knows yet, right? This is something brand new. There, I think we tend to, we tend to sit down and, and try to understand what the users are trying to accomplish, what problems they had in the past that this addresses. Because so often, you know, something that's new is, is really in some way connected to something old, right? We did this before and it didn't really work or we have a gap here. You know, there's, there's something that, that we're not doing as well as we should or we're not doing it all. And how do we make that better? So there, a lot of it is, is about understanding what, what they're looking for. And I think the, the big element of that that's key is breaking it down into, into manageable phases so that we can deliver quickly and iterate quickly, right? So you know, the last thing you want to do is sit down and say, okay, we think we understand exactly what you need, right? Now we're going to go off for a year and a half and build it. You know, that, that's always a recipe for disaster, right? So what we want to do is sit down and say, let's take the most important crux of, of what you're trying to get at here. Let's implement something, you know, in a few weeks or a month, right? And, and then let's sit down and, and edit in your hands, get your feedback on it. And then figure out the next piece, right? And you no, know, this doesn't mean we can't have a plan for, you know, all right, here's really roughly what we think the phases are going to be and how they're going to be laid out. But but you know, let's have these these checkpoints along the way and let's iterate based on your actual, you know, what we actually are able to deliver and what you're actually able to to benefit from. And so that's what we found is the key to those kinds of new projects is is the fast iteration cycle. Yeah. So you've basically, without saying the word MVP, you've kind of talked a little bit about kind of the MVP approach, which is about doing that that minimal amount of work, which may or may not be working code, but you've done a minimal amount of stuff to figure out whether or not it's meeting a need that your customer has and you're going through some type of observation process to, to fuel the first thing, the first asset or output that you create. It's fueled by some kind of observation or research up front so that when you go up to bat and take the swing, there's a better chance of at least a base hit and not a bun, you know, not a not a strikeout or something. <laughs> Sure. analogy right but you know i'm fully support 
that type of effort instead of the going off and, you know, we have all the data. We'll, we'll send you back a kit and then you can put it together yourself. It'll take a year and we're going to dump everything into the data warehouse. And then, you know, and then you fall into the Gartner 85% of big data projects that fail category, which nobody wants to be in that whole thing. So I think that's, that's really great. You're doing some of that. Tell me about you earlier. You said like you have a lot of different products and you said two to three of them are, are large. And I was curious, large by number of users, like what justifies putting like a dedicated product manager on it? And what's the extra love that is received because you're one of those two or three? Is it like they have a dedicated designer and dedicated engineers? Is it like more research time? Like what, tell us about those, your big ones. The largest projects usually have someone who's effectively an architect for the project who, who may also be part of the development team. They usually have a development team. So it's usually several people, at least you know, in an ideal world, three or four is probably probably typical for our larger projects. There's a project manager who is who is managing the, the project and, and and also how that sort of reports up into our overall program of initiatives for for the organization. Because usually those projects are to get substantial resources are you know are, are going to be priorities for the organization at, at some higher level. The last piece, of course, and probably the most important piece, is that there's a product owner who may or may not be the architect. In some cases, the architect plus feedback from the from the stakeholders kind of is enough to make it work. But most of the time, there's usually somebody who is also a you know the, the project, you know the project owner or the or the product manager who's really responsible for shaping the design of that product. And so, you know, for example, one of the one of the big tools we're working on has to do with increased virtualization that we're rolling out within within the Akamai uh, network. And you know, this is a big project because it's it's you know it's sort of a, a company-wide initiative. We have somebody working on designing the interface and working to figure out how that, you know, how the interface to provisioning works within the context of all the processes we have here at Akamai. One of our key analysis or, or databases for for analytics and and for planning, you know, there the the ownership is more that there, there's a essentially a data team who is responsible for this database and the universe of this data and roughly how it's visualized. So that team has responsibility for that database, for its schema, for you know how we get that data, where it comes from, its cleanliness. But also for for the visualization aspect of it, and then you know is now sort of also inheriting this. How do we use Tableau as part of that ecosystem? So just to give you some idea of how these projects are kind of organized and, and what the roles are. Got it. So some of the large, so your your large projects fall both into one, one may be a large a database that's sitting behind Tableau as the interface, and then you have another one that the server provisioning one, which just sounds like a custom. Is that like a web-based application or something? That's right. I, I got it. Okay. So then like for that one, so to me, that's like, that's the decision support, right? So the, the provisioning action would be the decision the human takes theoretically upon some analytics or insight that made them decide I need to push the button to deploy X servers in Y region or whatever it may be. Is that decision support part of that custom product as well? Or is this like a bounce between, you know, two or three different Tableau, you know, instances that are behind different databases. And then you go over to the provisioning tool and you just do the action. You make the decision 
in that tool, but the, the insight about when and how and where to make the decision is not part of the tool? Or is that actually in that tool as well, where it's like, hey, we predict you should do this, or you know, here are the stats. You may come in and make a decision on provisioning based on what's in this tool. Like, how, how much is that wrapped together versus you know, a series of different URLs you got to bounce through and kind of piece together yourself with eyeball analysis? So there's some of there's some of separation of systems, and we're actually moving in a more integrated direction, right? Where where the idea is that, you know, for example, right. So a lot of this begins with a customer demand, right? There's a customer who who needs, who either we determine or the customer, you know, gives us information that helps us determine that they need capacity, you know, in a certain area. That drives the process, but that also that factors into to a lot of other decision making that goes on, right? About exactly what gets deployed where and when there's elements of this that are that are integrated in the sense that you know the moves right the the, the deployments that we're planning to make to expand the network or to change the network in some way are kind of inputs into this great big optimization model right where you say here's what we know we think is coming here's what we know we think is good is going to happen you know here's here's what here's the moves we're planning to make when and where will we run out of capacity right and so I think that we're moving towards a more integrated feedback model for that, where where less of the work has to be, you know, connect the dots by a human being, and more to saying, okay, all the systems have this data, and if they can exchange it with each other, you know, then we have all the data in the places we need it. You're talking about this kind of feedback cycle annually. Then you might look back and say, you know, how how well did we arrange for these optimizations? Like, did we plan for these? Predictive resource allocation or whatever it may be, you look back and see kind of how how accurate that was by looking at the utilization rates or something. Is that kind of how it works? That's that's exactly it. You know, did, did we did we meet the cut? You know, did we? Is there a customer demand we we failed to meet? And on the flip side, you know, were there servers sitting around underutilized? And just curious, it, is this uh, when we talk about like Akamai going out and deploying servers? Are you talking about deploying? physical hardware in a data center, or are you just talking about provisioning up like virtual servers on the cloud somewhere? Just curious, because you guys are kind of a network that sits on top of like the internet. So I'm curious, does this involve like lots of humans and you're rolling out hardware and all that, or, or are we really talking about virtual deployments? So it's some of each, but you know, one of Akamai's hallmarks actually has been the, the breadth of the network. And so we have some servers in pretty remote locations. <laughs> and so, you know, these are physical servers. These are places in some cases where there, there isn't a lot of good cloud providers or, or anything like that. And Johnny's and going to the Arctic to uh, <laughs> that's right. install yeah. some Dell servers. It's like, damn it. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, if, if there's a data center there, you know, and, and I'll tell you there's a data center in Antarctica and, you know, it's possible we have a server there, right? So <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to go rewire it once in a while or something. <laughs> oh, we're out of storage. Shoot. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's still disk drives in that that cloud up there. They might be flash, but there's still a piece of hardware. So <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's one of the things that really differentiates Akamai, I think, is that is that we have this this extensive edge network, which you know really is pretty unparalleled in the industry. When there's a report back, then do they look at the travel costs for Johnny going to the Arctic on an ice clipper or whatever it's called, and then like, okay, was it worth? going there to deploy these servers. <laughs> sure. And, you know, in, increasingly that's, you know, that, that is the kind of analysis that, that we're doing. And, you know, obviously we, we manage the, the network according to some of that, right? So, you know, when, when there's servers that are sitting somewhere and just not getting used or, 
they're there, but they were extremely expensive to put there. And, <laughs> you know, then, then maybe that's, maybe that's not a place we cover in the future, but, you know, in some cases it, it, it makes sense to keep our, our coverage really good, even if in one area we're, you know, we're, we're sacrificing a little bit of cost to get the coverage up overall, then that might be worth it. So I'm curious, now that you've been here a while and through all this, do you have any stories or anecdotes about like a particular user experience, like a, a customer internal user that found an approach useful or you got some feedback or, or, or maybe it was negative, but you had some kind of learning, not negative, but you, you learned something not to do it again or any type of uh, anecdotes you can think about that were kind of insightful for you? Yes, we have a number of tools that we use for manipulating, you know, all the business data around what's deployed in our network. I guess the, the best anecdote I have about them is that we found that there are tools that are very commonly used because of their flexibility. But if you actually look at the tool itself, right, and you look at the complexity of the tool, it's not that complex. It's sort of the default way of using things and, and, and people have used it continually because it has always been sort of the way of using it when in fact it's there's nothing particularly special about it. And so, you know, we've seen certain circumstances where, you know, you give somebody a new tool that either just works faster, <laughs> it provides a very similar interface, or you you find some tweak, you know, to, to that workflow that really, you know, can save them tons and tons of time. You know, you just watch their eyes pop out, right? <laughs> As they realize, you know, they, that, you know, you've just probably saved them two hours a day, right? So, so it's interesting that that, that, that can that can happen in pockets and corners. I mean, there are many tools that have been built to already to, to help with that, but there's still plenty of opportunity for it. That's one of the things I think I love about being a designer is, you know, a lot of times the big picture rewards, like was this product, you know, valuable or profitable, you know, there's kind of these lagging indicators, which take a while and they don't have the same hit as those small wins, which are like, I just saved this guy two hours a day doing a task that had nothing to do with his skill set, Like, it's just labor, right? It's not using his brain. He just has to download these logs and put it in Excel and run a lookup and then blah, blah, blah. And now it's just like, bam, you know? <laughs> and you exactly. get, I love that. And it makes the, it makes it worth, like that's part of the, for me, at least the, the joy of doing design work and stuff. So I totally can relate to what you're saying about, you know, helping someone. You're just help. I mean, it's so much about helping people and like providing them like a better, you also feel like, man, I'm also helping the company because I'm helping this person uses his brain to do much more important things than maybe he was doing with tool time, like downloading crap and uploading it into a tool and sorting it and changing this and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Most of that is tool time. That's not the, should we put more servers in Antarctica? It's not the thinking time and the valuable business time, you know? And so, yeah, anyhow, I'm glad I'm gone my soapbox here, but. I can't <laughs> no, I mean, it's one of the very, it's one of the very fulfilling jobs, uh, you know, aspects of a job like this, where you're building tools for internal stakeholders, I think, is that, you know, in, in many software industries, you build, you know, you build product, but, you know, your users might not be accessible to you hardly at all, right? Whereas here, they're, they're right down the hall. Um, <laughs> and so that's a, it's a great fulfillment, I think, in, in building something that, that meets a person's need and, and having that feedback and knowing that it did and, and having the satisfaction of that. Well, cool, man. This has been great. I'm, I'm curious, do you have any, you know, closing advice for like other product owners or data product leaders, analytics practitioners kind of in, in your space, like maybe about changing domain, you know, you're, you're in a no, new domain, any kind of insights looking back on this, you know, six months or however long it's been that you've been there or broadly? I would say, you know, above all, my advice would be, you know, take the time 
take the time to plan, right? Nobody ever thinks they have the time to design or to plan. But to some extent, you just got to say, you know, if we don't do this, the thing we build is is, is not going to be worth nearly as much as the thing we could build, right? And so, uh, you know, you're you're much better off figuring out the right design for something before you build it. <laughs> so, so you know, even even when you're when you think you you don't have the time, you know, ask your managers and and your management chain for that space you need, right, to to, to get that pipeline started the right way. Because once once you actually design things, you know, you're going to find that that the number of people you're helping and the degree to which you're helping them is much greater. I can totally get behind that <laughs> that closing statement. I, I agree. You're saving. First of all, you're you're putting that anchor in place to do good things down the road. You're probably reducing your technical debt and you're maximizing your ability to change because if you're especially if you're doing small deployments, you're you're probably going to need to change stuff. So a little bit of design planning up front can do can do a lot for, you know, both the engineering part of it, but also uh, most importantly the customer you know, experience getting that right. So so amen to that. <laughs> Maybe the last part of that is just to add that. Sometimes we take for granted, right, in the in a job we've been at for a long time, we actually take for granted that we think we know what everybody needs already. Sometimes actually it's a blessing, right, when you come into something brand new because you're not, you don't assume you already know what that person across the hall really needs. You say, I'm going to go ask that person because I have no idea, right? And these problems are the same everywhere. And whether you're in a place, in a domain you've been for a while, you know, it's, there's still going to be some aspect of that problem that you don't understand that that person is living with. And so, Pretend, but you know, be the new guy for as long as you can, right? I mean, go ask again and and, and get the really understand what that person is experiencing because then you're going to be able to meet the need much better. That's great advice. You don't have that bias from your your own knowledge about the domain or your assumptions there, and that's just a good design technique in general. Is is being able to kind of compartmentalize. I mean, we all come to the table with bias, but but if you can try to put that aside, for me, a lot of times it's like even with new stuff with clients, it's explain it to me like a five-year-old. And I also tell my clients sometimes this, like, what does it mean to deploy a server? Like, what what do you mean? What is he literally going to do? And how does he know when to push the button to go do that? And, and sometimes I look at you like, what do you mean you don't know what a server is? It's like, well, I kind of know what a server is, but literally I want to see every step it takes to know to go put one there. And then is a guy going to walk out there with a box and rack it up? Or is this a virtual thing? And then like literally tell me what that's like, that whole process. And if you come in, even though I know something about how all that works, you go in with that clean slate because you want to be open to those things you don't know to ask about. And if the more you kind of can come in without, with removing as much of that bias as possible, you might find those nuggets of stuff that, that just kind of pop out to you that the customer doesn't know to tell you about, but they're just kind of going through their process. But they'll, they'll often ping, you'll, you'll have these moments where you learn something that you didn't go in there to ask about. And sometimes it can be a really big thing like, wow, that's that's really what the gap here is. It's not this, it's this other thing. And having that real innocent kind of childlike innocence about the way you you inquire, I think can help enable that. Absolutely. Well, where can uh, people find out about you? Are LinkedIn, Twitter? Are you are you out there on the, the internet somewhere? <laughs> yeah, I'm on LinkedIn for sure. And I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, I'm on Facebook. So find me wherever you wherever you can find me. Where are you on uh, link? Where where's your Twitter handle? I'll put the I'll put the links in the notes too. But yeah, I think I'm PJ Mattel everywhere. PJ M A T T A L. PJ Mattel on Twitter and uh, okay, great. I'll put your uh, information up there. And uh, thanks for coming to the show. This has been it's been great to hear about what you're doing in Akamai. And uh, good luck as you guys uh, charge forward. All right, thanks. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag Experiencing Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.